0: Make up your mind. Welcome back to another edition of the EdBC podcast. Eric Dobrats and Brian Coleman coming to you on a what is it Monday, Brian? The twenty seventh
1: of February or something? Monday, February twenty seventh. We're almost in March.
0: Um, we have a tremendous podcast coming at you. Uh, great book that just came out. Uh, what the last couple? Months? Last couple months, yeah uh story about the whalers of bleeding green right the way bleeding green
1: bleeding green a history of the hartford whalers
0: christopher price writes for the boston globe we uh had a chance to talk to him earlier and man what a great listen if you're a sports fan if you're a whalers fan and whatever fan you are man the guy it's a great book it was a lot of fun to read brought a lot of memories for people from connecticut who grew up watching that team and even if you weren't a fan and I only went to the time uh, we mentioned this i I only went once to a whalers' game, so i don't I didn't have a lot of um memories with it, but he really did a nice job of uh sharing with us lot of behind the scenes stuff and it's a really a good book. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, Brian, you know, listen, it's a slow time of year, but I had a lot of fun listening to your dog in the background there, Bark.
1: Yeah, control course, your animals. animals. What is going on here? Jesus yep.
0: unbelievable. Be,
1: probably some you know it's Girl Scout cookie season some Girl Scouts selling cookies. Trying to keep them safe here at the uh Coleman domicile. And your house is an easy sale, let's be honest. Oh please yeah I got get up. <laughs> Talk about we can, the we got uh, uh, them if you need them. Actually,
0: baseball has some new rules, buddy. What did you think?
1: You're talking about the pitch clock. Um pitch block, yeah. yeah,
0: fifteen seconds, twenty seconds.
1: I, I just read before we got on this podcast, before the Girl Scouts started to my house, I just saw a note from this weekend, which is like the first full weekend of, I guess, a full spring training game. Yeah, slate of slate of games, and the Mets played two over the weekend, and no, I played three over the weekend, and I don't know the exact number, but average. Long story short, if that's possible at this point, the the average of those three games is about two hours and and thirty minutes. Yeah, I think that's. Minutes. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And listen, it's um, training, so you got
0: guys swinging at first pitches, and you got a lot sure. of minor leaguers that you know yada yada. And the other thing is, I watched about uh maybe a half an inning of the Yankees yesterday at work just because I, it was on in the background. I didn't right. even turn it on. Just the 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 net yes network was on or whatever it was on. Mm-hmm. And there was a concerted effort from the pitchers to throw the damn baseball. And it was such a fresh, fresh scene to
1: see. uh, Yeah, I I saw a quote from Max Scherzer of the Mets this weekend who threw on, who pitched a couple innings on Saturday. Yeah. Basically said he loves it. And he says he lets him, uh, paraphrasing here, also lets him mess with the hitters. So, uh, if the pitches love it, I I love it. I know it's not traditional. The one thing about baseball has always been: been there's no clock involved. Baseball yeah. is its own, goes on its own time rhythm. Well, the yeah. problem with it is we're all tired of four hour games. So, yeah. sorry, I love it. I hope, and listen, I hope bleeds into the regular. I hope these times. You mentioned spring training, but I do hope these times maybe a little longer. But I hope they bleed into the regular season.
0: They will for sure, and, and I hope for once baseball is actually a trendsetter. Because I can't tell you, Brian, uh, college basketball is like college football now. Oh my the goodness! The games last forever. I don't know if the commercial breaks are longer. There are a million fouls. Oh, the, the replays! You have Eric, too many the replays. timeouts. It, oh, the replays! I was at Albertus Magnus taking on St. Joe's Division three game basketball game yesterday. The winner gets an automatic bid to the Division three NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Great game. Came down to the final minute. But this is a division three game and they actually inserted media timeouts for some bizarre reason, Why? which they never do. I don't, the game wasn't televised. I, I was televising it basically on my highlights later that right. night. Um, but the game took two hours and 10 minutes. Division three game.
1: That's kind of just, I
0: don't know. Yukon games know, are taken anywhere between two hours and two hours and 15 minutes. It's, it's way yep. too long. I, 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 you like you said, everything is replayed. But I don't want. hopefully baseball's a trendsetter and this works and people realize like NBA takes too long. Oh, NFL is very hard. fast. College football is the worst. But oh, hopefully college, baseball college will be a trend. But I like it, man. Listen, they everyone's going to talk about the end of the Red Sox game uh this weekend where the batter didn't get in the box and they called him out with the bases loaded in a tie game. Listen, those things, wouldn't you rather have them happen now than happen a month from now? So just get it out of the way. Get it's it out of
1: the way. Get used to it now.
0: Yeah their pace there's going to be a faster
1: pace that's what yeah. we want that's what we We're want 100 yeah i think the and i think the play will be better because i just think and maybe my it might it might favor the pitchers early but i just think if you have a rhythm once everyone gets established to the rhythm like it, it'll it'll just make the play it'll make the play a little crisper
0: and what's every and what's every fielder tell you they want the pitcher to throw the yeah. ball because there's too much time. Maybe Derek Junior stayed all the time about certain pitchers, they yeah. take forever. You know, you're standing there, you're looking at the crowd, you're not paying attention, and you forget yeah. who's covering second on a steal. I mean, yeah. the new bases I saw this weekend a little bit too, which looked a little bigger, but to the eye, it didn't really mean much to me. I don't know about you if you noticed that at all. But I
1: didn't really notice it though. No. It is what it which is. Which I guess it's a good thing.
0: But I just wanted to bring that out there. We'll be following that over the next few weeks. The uh the the pace of play and just listen. We're both big baseball fans, and we don't think the game does enough to help itself. And maybe for once they are right. Wow!
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: All right, we got a like we mentioned, we got a great interview coming up. Uh, tremendous book. I, I really hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Brian will. Uh, it's on Amazon, all kinds of places. Bleeding Green: The, the History of the Hartford Whalers. Day, so it dates all goes back to when their first days. Uh, Everything you want to know about the Whalers. Christopher Price from the Boston Globe. So please uh, be sure to stick around for that. But before we get to that, Brian's going to do this. And when we come back, the book Bleeding Green.
1: Hey, yeah, before we get to that, Instacart. Yes, what a time to shop from home. We might get some snow this week. So the, maybe instead of running out, maybe you can just log on to Instacart.com and get your last minute snow shopping done. Instacart Plus, let's talk about that that's the instacart express membership program now called instacart plus and for 9.99 a month or 99 a year a membership can pay for itself with just a few short orders there's new family accounts instacart plus members get to share all their benefits with other family members for free so households can add items to a shared cart shop together free delivery on any order over 35 bucks five percent credit back on eligible pickup orders reduced service fees on every order and extra perks from top brands like mileage bonus points from Delta Airlines with every dollar spent and exclusive benefits for Chase Card members. So listen, I don't snow, no snow, whatever. You just don't want to shop from home and make it easy on yourself. Check out the Instacart Plus program and shop and save from home with Instacart.
0: Again, here we go. Christopher Price from the Boston Globe. Pay attention, Wheeler fans. You're going to like this bleeding green. Well, Christopher, just first of all, this a pandemic project. And let's give behind every successful man is a good woman. And this was the wife's idea, right?
2: Exactly. I, we were sitting in the living room, literally, I think it was in the summer of 2016 and we were just tossing around book ideas and she says why don't you write a book about the whalers you always get such a great reaction you know when you wear, wear a whaler cap or t-shirt or talk about the team and it took me literally a half a second to say that's absolute genius so she likes to say you know we we have her to blame for it but uh, you know honestly it, it was it came out of an idea just kind of sitting around in a living room and so it was it was so much fun to do
0: how did social media uh listen social media is great to connect with people but how much did that help you kind of get all the characters and leads and, I mean, there's a great Whaler presence on Twitter and Facebook and all that. How much did that help you in getting together to put this book together?
2: It was fantastic. I, I was joking with someone, and I actually make this point. I think it's in the introduction where I say, you know, Facebook is soulless and evil, but it was great when it came to hooking <laughs> up with former Whalers. So it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun being able to just kind of type in and just see if, you know, Mike Leut or Gordy Roberts or someone was on Facebook or in being able to connect. I have a funny story about that. I I was tracking down. um, I needed some more mid nineties guys. And I found um, a a name on Facebook, John Sebastian Jaguar. And I thought, this is great. This is the last guy who was an active player who played for the Whalers retired in the mid two thousands, you get his perspective. It'd be fantastic. So I, I friend him on Facebook and I say, Hey, you know, I'm writing a book about the history of the Hartford Whalers. You know, can we connect? He's like, yeah, this is the, this is a different John Sebastian Jaguar. And I thought, what are the chances? <laughs> you know, there's two of them. Name, really? Yeah. There's two guys in the world named John Sebastian Jaguar. So I, I, you know, more often than not though, I was able to connect with guys and, and make some, you know, some, some inroads there. So it really was, it was really super helpful.
1: What was sort of the reaction to pe- when people when you reached out to them and say, "Hey, listen, I don't know, it's been 25 years and counting, but uh, I want to do a little something on the on the on the whalers." How was were the, how overall it seems like most people were receptive, or
2: yeah, most people were receptive. I think that the former players were a little cool at first, <laughs> um, but it did help to get the blessing of either teammates or people like Chuck Caton, who mm-hmm. said, "Hey, this guy's legit. You know, he's putting together this book." I think you should talk to him in inevitably by the end of the interview, more often than not guys were saying, Hey, let me, you know, put you in touch with this guy or this guy, or, Hey, you know what? I think I have an email address for this guy. So it was fantastic. There were guys like Jordy Douglas, Brian prop um, Mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, run the gamut in, in terms of, in terms of eras, there were a lot of guys. Andre LaCroix was great in terms of kind of putting me in touch with some other guys. So they were really good. You know, once I explained what I was doing and, you know, they kind of warmed up to me
0: now growing up in Connecticut, like I did, there used to be an old joke that, you know, hockey teams only had the 11, 12,000 fans that were actually in the building, you know, and, in our state, you know, growing up like you did in Canada, you're from the Farmington area, is that correct?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, Farmington, yeah. and then we moved to Suffield.
0: So I grew up on the shoreline in Old Saybrook, and I live here now, and it kind of reminds me of WTIC radio, like the whalers, like I knew about them growing up, you know, I'm going to be 50 this year, so I'm, I remember 86, 87, but I was never passionate about them because I just didn't have a connection, and maybe that goes to, was part of the problem why they eventually left, because were they more of a suburban Hartford through your research? If you, if you lived within 20 miles of Hartford, that seems to be where all the fans were, where they yeah. never really connected to me in Fairfield County and the shoreline. Did you, do you think that's true or am I, am I missing there?
2: No, I, I think that's spot on, Eric. I think when you, when you look at the history of the team and the fan base, the majority of their fans came from the Hartford area and, you know, Farmington, Simsbury, West Simsbury, you know that kind of Avon, yeah, Avon exactly. That whole universe, there, the that fan base was really rabid, and, and I think that that's where they drew most of their group. You know, you know, forty-one nights a year. Um, There's also too, and a couple of people talk about this in the book that you know you get into Southern Connecticut, and even when the Whalers were really good in the mid 1980s there was still a rangers islanders presence whether that was kind of holdovers from you know a a previous generation or whatever that you know whatever the take may be you can also you know the the new haven nighthawks they Mm. they did draw some people there and so i think when you got into that part of the when you got into that part of the state you know you're you're kind of You're kind of encroaching on, you know, the, again, the, the, you know, the Rangers and the Islanders. So I I think that played a role in it. I I think that's a great point. I think that's really interesting. I will say this though, when it comes to the fan base, I always go back to the line from Dom Amore who said that, look, you know, they, they didn't have their hooks in a lot of people relative to a lot of other fan bases, but the people they had, they really had, it was in a lot, a lot of ways that same 12,000, 13,000 people there every single night on asylum street, rooting for that team, you know, they were the, you know, they were the diehards. They were the folks who were all in.
0: And I still get emails at work now, 25, 26 years later from Whaler fan base saying, hey, you need to cover this. You guys need to do a better job at Channel 8 of advocating for the Whalers to come back. And I'm mm-hmm. like, geez, this is 27 years ago. Yeah.
2: It, it, and that's one of the things, too, Eric, that, that's fascinating that I think that I even underestimated a little bit that that there is still such a passion for, you know, for, for the team. And look, a lot of it's nostalgia and nostalgia is a really powerful draw. And I think, you know, we buy into that as well. I think the three of us buy into it, you know, whether it's, you know, throwback uniforms or, you know, nickel beer night or whatever they can, you know, there, there's lots of, there's lots of positive to nostalgia. And I think the whalers kind of play on that a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I underestimated, you know, the, the passion that still exists out there for people who are buying, three and four and five copies of the book because they not only want one for themselves, but they're buying one for, Hey, I got an uncle who grew up in the seventies next door to, you know, Gordy Roberts or Hmm. it's, it's, it's that feeling that still exists out there for the team and the franchise.
1: And it does feel different. And again, going up outside of Boston, the whalers i mean i only hartford to me was like oh that's where the whalers play as a kid you know you drive like i go see we drive to relatives in jersey drive through hartford like oh yeah this is the the city where the whalers play it's kind of small so but it was always like kind of like it was sort of a unique it sort of seemed unique a unique market and you drew you sort of show that show us that earlier in the book about how you know Again, I not my mom wasn't dropping me off to the Boston Garden to see the Bruins, same way people wouldn't drop their kids off to see the Rangers today. But back in the day, that was like I, it was kind of funny. It was like I'm, instead of dropping your kids off at the mall, you drop them off at the Whalers game, which is kind of in a mall. So like they're going to Wendy's and they're going to the Whalers game. I mean, how did how did you explain a little bit of how just how how unique Hartford was comparable to other NHL markets, especially at a time when the NHL was expanding. Because they took in those World Hockey League teams, World yeah. WHA teams.
2: It's a great point, Brian. I think there are two things. First of all, you hit on it. it. It was, in a lot of ways, you know, mall culture in the 1970s. For those who grew up, those of us who grew up in the 1970s, it was considered a safe space. For right. kids, for eight, nine, ten-year-old kids, where you could go and you could drop them off at the mall with ten bucks or whatever the case may be, you know, okay, and, and just wait right here because I'll pick you up in two hours, you know, it, it it was very very different than it is today. The idea of going to a mall is not what it is these days, and so I think right. that you know that's really important to 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 consider. And the fact that they put the the brink the arena in the mall, I think that was huge, and I think that gave a lot of parents cause for comfort if they were dropping their kids off because look you know you just you just mentioned you're not going to drop your kids off at the boston garden no <laughs> you're not going to drop your kids off at Madison square garden it's just different and, it, and it's and it was cleaner and it was newer and it was bright and it was shiny and there was a feeling of civic pride around that mall and it was like all right look this is a safe spot we can drop our kids off here and i think that In addition to a lot of the other things that the team did around marketing with Pucky and Mm -hmm. they worked hard to bring in younger fans. They really did. And I don't know if that was just an organic thing or if there was a directive, whatever the case may be. I think the other thing, too, is that and Howard Baldwin has brought this up on a number of occasions. And I, I really think this is true. In a lot of ways, the Whalers were the Green Bay of hockey.
1: Yeah, you had a very small,
2: passionate fan base in a very small community relative Mm -hmm. to the other professional teams in the league at that time. And so, I think that the you know, as I mentioned before, the fans who were all in really took to that. And it was that sense of community that a lot of people had that still exists today. You know, I I do the Whalers podcast, Brass Bonanza, and a lot of the guys say the, the feeling of community, the connection in the community with the people down the street, with the people at the grocery store, you can go to big Y and you can see, you know, Ray Ferraro and it wasn't a big deal. And so I think that's what made it different. If you're talking about the fan base, if you're talking about the group, those two things, that sense of community and the sense of comfort in the mall that I think gave a lot of people.
0: When's the last time you've been in the Hartford civic center, XL center?
2: I was in there. I came down in early November as part of I was doing some some book appearances and yeah. stuff, and and I was at the, the the Hartford Club and I was at WTIC, and I went in the lobby area and I kind of talked my way into the building a little bit and kind of yeah it wasn't like a whole tour or anything kind of you know mm-hmm. peeked my head in, yeah. and it's just it's sad to see it, it hasn't to, changed it, yeah compared to what we knew. In the 1980s, you know, when you would walk in those big double doors, you know, those 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 doors on Asylum Street, and, and you could see the Whalers gift shop, and you could see, you know, Wendy's up on the second floor, and you could see B. Dalton, and you could see Chuck's. It, it was just, it was buzzing, you know, in the 1980s. And look, part of that is Hartford, and I understand the, the real world, you know, situation in and around the Civic Center these days. And I know that you do get some of that with UConn basketball when UConn basketball does play downtown, but it's just, it's just different. And look, you know, part of me is just, you know, Hey, I'm an old guy. And that was, you know, those are some great times, but it's just, it's, it is, it's just kind of sad.
0: Well, I was there the other day, you know, covering UConn basketball. And I took a picture because in the upper upper corner i happened to be walking out and there was a whaler's bumper sticker in a box where the tv trucks used to park to plug in to do their live shots mm-hmm. and i sent it to one of our engineers who's been at the tv station for 40 years and he said oh my god that's the drop we used to use <laughs> and nothing has changed man it's you walk around and it is sad when you go when you're in the bowels of the of the civic center they yeah. need a new building um but i wanted to bring up the the excel center civic center just because Talk about avoiding tragedy. When the roof collapsed, you did a great job of talking about that. Man, I was hanging on your every word when you talked about that because I was a little before my time, obviously. But goodness, to to what could have happened there and what luckily didn't, man. it's just yeah. There's so much great history in the first 100 pages of your book, you can't put it down. But if you talk a little bit about that, how they avoided such a horrible tragedy
2: thank you for saying that because i think that that those 70s and look the 70s teams were great they won the avco cup and you know there's a lot of great history there and at the same time there's stories like that that are still amazing to me that it, it, it was still stunning that no one was killed that it happened when it did and the thing that continues to strike me is not so much the event and the fact that you know tragedy was so narrowly avoided but i can never remember other than and look I'll be careful when I say this because you know, we kind of go down a a weird road here, but I remember Katrina and the way that everyone in Louisiana pulled together to renovate the Superdome. Mm -hmm. They they wanted to get the Superdome back. That's the only comparison that I can make to a team, a town politicians, the whole community, the fan base all kind of working together to come back from a disaster Mm -hmm. like that, where you had a team and really look, you could argue that that, the flagship franchise, the WHA at the time was the Whalers. (laughs) Howard Baldwin was the president of the W or the commission of the WHA. If the Whalers go under and you know, you're, you're talking about a situation with the WHA where maybe it doesn't survive and the way that they rallied together to build a new building, move the team to Springfield, create the I-91 club kind of, everyone was on the same page, the politicians, the fans, the media. It was really stunning to go back and and realize just how much everyone worked together for the common good in that instance. So yeah, I, the, the, I remember I delivered the Hartford current in early 1978. I was eight years old and I remember reading the front page and not really grasping the seriousness of the situation. Um, but Jerry does a great job. We were talking about Jerry Brooks, and, and Jerry does a great job I- in the book, kind of walking us through as someone who covered the event, who was there literally on the ground floor of what
1: happened, how they built it back, and how they all move forward. You know, you—that's—I I think you did a great job of enlightening me and probably a lot of other people. Stepping say, just to the Hartford region, yet looking at the history of pro hockey overall and the NHL, I sort of didn't know until I read the book just how much the WHA and really Hartford was sort of maybe the franchise that helped and tell me if i'm wrong but i sort of got this impression that it was really it, it was the Hartford franchise that helped push that merger with the NHL uh when i you know now when i think of them i think oh yeah that the they they the, they were responsible for getting the Edmonton Oilers into the NHL you know with, with Gretzky and Messier teams who had success you know in 3 or 4 years they later after they got in there they won a cup but it was really having that you know, Edmonton. Let's be fair; was up in you know the middle of nowhere in Canada, having a, an American franchise in a hockey crazy mm-hmm. area of the of a, of the U.S. in the Northeast. It seems like that was like okay, this makes it viable
2: if we can yeah pull. This no, it, it was, it was. And I'm sorry if my if my my, my cat Scout is here in the background.
1: <laughs> I just wants to he's know, hiding just... that
0: great sign.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, to
1: join just wants us to listen here. in.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think Brian. A lot of that goes back to Howard Baldwin that in in jerry i think was the was the guy who used the phrase howard baldwin has a lot of kind of harold hill in him you know from yeah. the music man where he's kind of rallying everyone together and kind of you know you 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 feel like you want to follow him. He's got the charisma. He's got you know some deep pockets. He's got some bold ideas. And Howard was the guy who pushed it through in a lot of ways. Howard was the Howard was the not only the leader of hockey in Hartford in the history. You know you can't write about the history of hockey in Hartford without including Howard Baldwin in the first paragraph. But he also was the guy who, in a lot of ways, by hook or by crook. Kind of, you know, pulled the WHA along, especially when it was struggling. You know, he he's the guy who coordinated with the NHL uh, on a lot of levels to help really make the merger a reality. And so I can't say enough about Howard. He was great with this project and he was he was fantastic, but he was the guy who really made it all happen. And if it wasn't for Howard Baldwin, you know, you could say, well, you know, maybe someone comes up, maybe someone appears in Edmonton or someone in Quebec or, you know, someone kind of moves the whole thing forward. But look, Howard was the guy. And and if, if you want to, you know, thank someone for bringing not only professional hockey to Hartford, but the NHL eventually to Hartford, Howard, your man.
0: We talk a little bit in the book about the rise of UConn. And before you came on, Brian and I were talking a little bit about the whalers leaving how could the whalers have capitalized on the rise of yukon instead of it kind of being their downfall in your research what did you find about that because this state went yukon crazy Mm -hmm. in a heartbeat we all know that tate george shot uh but before that they played in the field house and how were they not able to kind of capitalize on the success of yukon and make the whole state sports nuts
2: they picked the worst possible time to become mediocre. Mm. Really, in a lot of ways, and and I I think that there were three or four big things that ultimately led to their leaving. But I think the rise of UConn was one of them. Because honestly, if if you're WTIC, you know if you're a TV station, if you're an advertiser, you, who you want to be associated with a winner? You want to be associated with a a successful franchise or a successful program. And it was, you know, the, the, you, you know, Yukon men's and women's were going in this direction and the whales were going in this direction. And so I think the state wasn't simply wasn't big enough to support both. At least it, you know, at least as it existed in the 1990s, maybe, you know, today they could have found a way, but I think also too, in su- on some level, and I'm not saying this was entirely the case, but with some players and some front office folks, I think there was some resentment the fact that UConn was successful as it was and they were knocking them off the front page and they were knocking them off the leads, you know, the, the, the lead story in the sports cast. And, you know, and they were getting the lion's share of coverage, but honestly, at the time you have a national championship program, again, the men's and the women's, and you have a fourth place hockey team, you know, as a reporter, I know who I'm going to be more inclined to cover. I know who's going to, you know, move the needle or sell more papers or, you know, help me with ratings. It's going to be the basketball team. And, and it was so. Still- yeah, exactly. So I, I, it really was. It, it was. I, I think Eric. I, I think it's a. It, it's 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 a great point. And then ultimately too, and kind of talk about this in the book a little bit that you had superstars from other teams start to see that.
1: Mm. Hi, how you doing? As the cat jumps in again. <laughs> exactly. That's here, great. I'm going to
2: put him on the floor. Here, that's all right. Here we up. go. He's a big hockey. He's actually a big hockey fan, truth be told. cool. Um, but you had situations like Brendan Shanahan not wanting to play here. You, right. know, you had you had you had t- guys like that who just didn't want to be a part of Hartford for a few reasons. Look, Hartford, again, you know, like we said before, it's a Green Bay of of hockey and it's mm-hmm. a small town and it's not for everyone. It's not like, you know, New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. Um, but also, too, I think a lot of stars saw what was happening in Hartford and the fact that the Whalers were a second class team in their own town. And I think that played a role into it as well.
1: You know, there are two things here. I, I, I'm I'm gonna do the whole what if thing. People love to do the what if, like what if? So here's two, because uh, we have a few for a few more minutes. It seems like that 86 team that lost to Montreal in seven games, the Montreal wanted one on to win the cup that year. And as you there was a wide open playoff year mm-hmm. that year because the Oilers had been upset at home, which was stunning because they were going for a three-peat. And had they what happens if the Whalers win that game? They could they legitimately could have won, you know, at least gotten to the cup finals. So, like, what would happen? What happens if they had moved on? And then the other one, again, this is a two pronged question, I guess. Does it affect the future if they have success that, you know, may, maybe have a real parade instead of having parade for a quarterfinal <laughs> loss? What happens if they don't, if they don't make that trade of Mark, if they don't trade Ron Francis? Enough? Oh, oh. I just, I, that's somebody who me. hates the Pittsburgh penguins. that just put them over the top.
2: It did. Like, it did. It's a nerve. Ryan that
0: trade to... hits a nerve with everyone. Yeah, oh, wow. it, it
2: really, really did. I, I think both of the, I think you could look at both of those as, as major pivot points in the history of the franchise. I, I think, first of all, as you mentioned, losing to the Canadians in that fashion, when you saw the rest of the playoff field that Wild year, multi, yeah, multiple guys I talked to in the book, um, and forgive me, I forget who it was who brought up who was the first guy to bring it up, but um they'd crushed Calgary in in both games that mm-hmm. season. You know, they they put like an eight or a nine spot up on Calgary when they went out to the saddle Dome to play that year. And everyone who I talked to on that team firmly believes that they could have beaten Calgary. And I think I think it was the Rangers who were in the next round. Yes. Yep. And they and they crushed the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the year, and so you can make a real argument, Brian, that the history of hockey in Hartford has changed dramatically. Even if they get to the Cup Finals, that gives them a greater sense of legitimacy, and it gives them a greater sense of, you know, it gives them more gravitas in in, in the league, and you know, it earmarks them as one of those great young teams that are on the rise. It
1: would have been the only time they really had national exposure. Yeah, even if, you know now yeah. you're you know now you're in the Cup Finals, that makes the, even if hockey is the fourth of the big four in the U.S. It still makes the front page of the, uh, the USA today.
2: Yeah. They're, yeah. in Red section. Exactly. Exactly. And it gives them a sense of credibility that maybe they didn't necessarily have before at the NHL level. The other thing too, you could draw a line that you. We mentioned the Tate George shot that happened in 1990, yep. uh, you know, almost 12 months later, the Ron Francis trade, it was a series of events that kind of ultimately doomed them. The other thing too, and I talked to Viv Bernstein, who, um, w- was great with the book. She, she said that she brought up a great point. She said, you're, Ron wanted to play in Hartford. He was the rare superstar who loved being in Hartford, who wanted to be there. And he was a magnet for guys. Other players wanted to play with Ron Francis. And they said, all right, well, if he's in Hartford, we're going to go to Hartford. We're going to play with him. We're going to like playing with him because he's building something. When you you trade him, you not only take away the on-ice impact, the very obvious on-ice impact, you lose a superstar who wanted to play in your town. And you know, that was absolutely debilitating.
1: I should explain this again for folks who maybe don't realize or don't know the background of it. If you're a baseball fan or especially a Mets fan, think of it this way. I'm not comparing the two in terms of their abilities as players because one was a no doubt Hall of Famer and Francis had a very good career. It's the Mets trading Tom Seaver. Mm-hmm. Francis was the first homegrown star the Whalers had. You know, he was drafted. they wanted to get Bobby Carpenter. They had to, quote unquote, settle for Ron Francis and he was the face of the franchise, and it just ended. And much like, uh, again, for baseball fans, that's the comparison. Just think about that. So much of the way Seaver never should have been traded. It just it ended poorly for Francis and Hartford.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like you said, it was the trade that put the, the Penguins over the top. You know, you have to go back to 1991 to remember. Oh yeah, Mario Lemieux had never won a Stanley Cup. Mario Lemieux had struggled. You know, his teams had struggled in the postseason. Until they bring in a guy like Ron Francis, and look, I'm not saying he was the only reason that the you know the, the Penguins ended up winning back to back, but mm-hmm. you know it's not coincidental. I'll put it that way. And, and to to trade away a Hall of Famer in his prime is absolutely criminal. Absolutely.
1: And let's. I'm again get, not getting too far deep into this because it's been 30 years, but the return wasn't great either, which often often happens when you yeah in any, in any sport when you trade. Yeah,
2: in it, in it's tough. Look, John Cullen. I talked to people about him. He he refused he he didn't want to talk for the book, which look I, I understand. Um, but a lot of people said that it was too much to put on his shoulders. It really was. It was a difficult situation for him to walk into. And and so but yeah, the the return was not great by any means.
0: Final uh, minute here. Peter Carmanos, a name that you know, Whaler fans don't want to talk about, but was there anything the state could have done to have kept the 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 whalers in Connecticut, or was he just asking for the moon and the stars, knowing he was leaving? And you're he leaving? was
2: asking for the moon and the stars, knowing he was leaving, and it was under the auspices of growing the game that the league was more than willing to move them to Carolina, a quote unquote warm weather market, warmish weather market, um, and and it was it, it was done by that point. I, I think the damage that you know started under Richard Gordon, the trades. You know, the the personal missteps that that all kind of came to a head with Carmanos and and the team was ripe to be moved, at least at that point. So I think Carmanos, Gordon and Gary Bettman all bear some responsibility for for, you know, the the way things ended in Hartford.
0: Yeah. If the league wanted them in Hartford, they would still be. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, you look at and and look, I'll go back to this every time you you know, you look at the the Phoenix situation with the Coyotes. It's a mess yeah it's a mess and they're in the league is doing everything they can to keep them there and nobody i think if the league be. had half the level of commitment to you know to to that situation that it did to hartford i i think that you know there's a really good chance the whales would still be
1: around that's exactly what i was thinking reading that going i've been out there and i've seen the there's nobody cares about them out there in the phoenix area they're playing in like a 5,000 seat arena mm-hmm. uh and and my for folks who read it when you get to the seattle supersonics comparison to hartford it's a you know same thing when a league or a commissioner doesn't want you, doesn't care if you leave or not, and wants you to, to help you move, you can't. There's nothing yeah. hard. I don't think there's anything the the officials in Hartford could have done. I So we have to ask the last question, Eric. Again, yep. which you've been. I'm sure you've been asked this a lot. A lot people still bring it up. Is there any chance that Hartford sees NHL hockey again?
2: I think it's awful tough. I, I think that you know a lot of things would have to happen. I personally believe that that I think that the you know if if it is going to happen, you need first of all, you need a hedge fund billionaire who is hell bent on returning hockey to Hartford, yep. who like us grew up around the teams in the 70s and 80s and has a couple billion dollars to spare. I think the other possibilities you can partner with one of the casinos. Look, you know, mm-hmm. the the Hartford Wales don't necessarily have to play in Hartford. The San Francisco 49ers play 60 miles outside of San Francisco. <laughs> You know, I, I would love the idea of renovating the XL center and bringing hockey back downtown, but I don't know if that's financially viable if you're talking about an NHL team, but the thing that, and I'm glad you bring this up, Brian, the thing that, you know, the guys in Seattle said, look, just keep hope alive, never keep, never stop fighting, you know, because yeah. you never know when someone with deep pockets is around the corner, who's you know willing to make that happen. So I, I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, fingers crossed, you never say never.
0: Maybe Steve Cohen will get an interest in hockey. He owns the Mets and maybe. There a you of, go. That's yeah, the exactly. guy. You there you right go. There. I like it. That's a great he's starting a point. guy. But I yeah. think he's
1: not, fortunately, I think he's an Islander fan, but you know, maybe there's someone else out there.
0: Well, listen, we kept you way too long. Again, I I took three pages of notes because uh, I really couldn't put the book down. I learned a lot. If you're a Whalers fan, I mean, this is a, a no doubt about it. Where, where Where's the best place to get your book?
2: Uh, you can get it on Amazon. It's it's available at all major bookstores. I just did a signing uh, at RJ Julia
1: down Madison. in Madison. Yep. Great bookstore
2: yep. down there. Uh, and they still have some copies of signed books. So if you're interested in getting a signed copy, you can go to rjjulia.com. That's rjjulia.com. You can also read my stuff um in the com. I do some stuff for them. And I also uh you, you can follow me on social media at cpriceglobe.com. Price Globe.
0: So Brian, did we tell you that he was going to be good? Did we tell the people out there he was going to be good?
1: Yeah, you know we try and give the people what they want. And if you're a Whalers fan that still gets has a little green running those veins, this is what you want. Go get that book. Be a cheapskate. You can find it on Amazon, you know, Barnes and Noble. There's, he mentioned R.J. Julia, which is like a great little bookstore here in Connecticut, been around forever, or forever. Yep. But if you got a little bookstore in your hometown, you want to give a little love, go buy the book and you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it.
0: All right, when we come back, you got a birthday list. You also want to mention MASH that turns 40. That's hard to believe. I remember watching that. That's, that's I do crazy. too.
1: Unreal. Unbelievable.
0: Uh, we're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll do all that, Brian.
1: All right, Also, well. We'll talk about it every week, but it's so important. Good night's sleep. It's important to save money without sacrificing that all important quality of sleep. That's good for us all. I also, believes in the power of a good night's sleep for everybody. It's been the guiding principle since they launched. These are products that feature innovative technology, unbelievable comfort and support all without deflating your wallet. So designed to make good sleep accessible to all, the Oswald features hybrid mattress technology with memory foam and individually wrapped coils for a winning blend of comfort and support. The goal was an affordable mattress that has quality and luxury. The Oswald Queen, that's a queen size mattress that starts as low as 345 bucks. Man, that is a great price. It's been like that way for that way for a while. Plus you get free shipping, 10 year limited warranty and a hundred night risk-free trial. One more way to save if you listen to EDBC podcast, and I know you do, click on any one of our episodes, whether you get us on Odyssey or on the iTunes app or uh, Spotify, wherever you get the EDBC podcast, click on any one of our episodes, you'll see a link to allswellhome.com. You click on that link and start shopping, you are going to get a 15% off your total order when you're done. So remember, sleep, shop, wait, let's do this again, sleep, <laughs> save, you know, I, these I, sometimes these reads just bleed into my brain. Sleep well and save well with all's Allswell.
0: Hey, listen, we could be a lame podcast and just tape those spots, but I like I like you doing it live.
1: Yeah, because I do it live. Yeah, I do it live. Do it live. That's
0: what they say. I don't hey, let's write it. But I do it live. Before we get the birthdays, uh, Mash one of our our favorites. It's funny every time that that is on. As long as it's the Henry Blake years, I watch
1: it. Gotcha. Yeah, 100%. I know all the jokes,
0: but I watch it every time.
1: Yeah, I love the the early years of that. After that, later years not so much. Whatever, but you know. Tomorrow – yeah, tomorrow, and we're taping this on Monday to February 27th, but tomorrow, Eric, February 28th is the 40th anniversary of the final episode of MASH, Uh, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, which I remember watching with my parents as a kid, or like 10 or 11. I guess I was probably around 10 years old, Uh, and it's still the highest-rated non-Super Bowl television broadcast in history, which is also unbelievable and probably is not going to ever be knocked off that perch. Just yeah. the way t- people view TV shows now. And there's so many more choices. There's pr- probably not a show that just sort of like sucks in the whole country the way that finale gets. So that I thought that was an interesting tidbit 40 years ago because it doesn't seem that long ago. And it also makes me feel a whole. Yeah,
0: well, well, that's easy. I mean, just Yo, sure. walking Absolutely. down the stairs in the morning is yeah, you know, is problem, mm-hmm. so. But yeah, it's funny. Uh, we mentioned I love those early years. I don't like the later years. I think, I think they went on a little too long. But again, like you said, I think Seinfeld was probably the most recent show that had a big finale. But again, yeah. the way the world works right now, you're not going to get those numbers. So I right. totally agree. I can't think of anything else on TV right now that would... Is there a big show on TV that I'm not thinking of that we all watch?
1: I, I do Not really. really, right? There's no not point. Not really. Plus, you know, it's just sort of like, I think even if people weren't like... Die Hard and Mash viewers like you and I like by the like you're I mean you're right the Korean War was not I mean was lasted like about two years somehow they made they made an eleven year TV show out of a two year war Um, so but the but but I think they probably drew in like a lot of casual people whereas I don't think now because TV there's so many choices between I mean who we don't you and I don't even watch broadcast shows anymore or my kids certainly don't there's just so much more many more choices I don't even think the curiosity factor coming into play like it did four years ago where yeah we're was, watching kind everything of an streaming. event
0: yeah everything yeah. we're watching on streaming i mean i'm watching full swing on netflix by the way i don't know if you've seen that yet the golf uh, is that the
1: golf uh yeah i want to watch that it. it's on my uh my to-do i have not seen it yet
0: so i watched the first one and i think i started the second they're about 45 minutes long uh well done yeah it's something definitely watch probably should try to get someone on about that because now we're hitting the golf
1: season the master's yeah, coming up it's, in another month so yeah it's coming up it's coming up fast yeah um and that was, you know, I was also thinking, like you said, like staying up to watch that. Like you had to stay up and watch it. Like, okay, it's a school no. night, but he'll let you stay up tonight. There's no DVR. I don't think we had VC. I don't think we had a VCR yet. So, yeah, wild old time TV.
0: All right. Well, we got some old time TV characters in your list of birthdays oh,
1: this week, Brian. We
0: sure uh, do. Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time is going to lead us off with one of the great
1: characters from the show. You're going to have to have, I know the character. She I- and You're going to cheney thank you all right dominic cheney uncle jr from uh you're talking about talking about an iconic tv show right up there with mash in the tv show hall of fame we're talking about uh uncle jr from the sopranos um dominic and he is Cinezzi. old he is
0: an older gentleman he was in the godfather if you recall yep. godfather
1: 2 yep mm-hmm. um a couple other things i can't remember okay i can't remember the other ones but godfather 2 and the sopranos is what i think of them from you mentioned he's an older gentleman, so I'm going to give you a chance to see if you know how old he is. Is he 87, 89, or 92? 92. There you go. There yeah, I was going to actually say, say to
0: you, you should give me three numbers that start with a nine, because I knew okay. that he was in his 90s. All right. Well, he's he was still actually, with us. Yeah, he was on a pot. He was on the Supra- talking Sopranos podcast two years ago uh, from London. Actually, it was great. Sharp as a tack. Cool. So I Excellent. hope he still is. Go ahead.
1: All right, another one. Uh, uh, the wife of the late great Paul Newman and also an accomplished actress of her, uh, in by her own right, and also a longtime resident of Connecticut here, which uh, she still lives here in Connecticut. Joanne Woodward does a lot of work with the uh, Westport Playhouse, still down in Westport. Uh, and mm-hmm. she's with us and celebrating a birthday this week. Uh, now, Eric, is she 88, 91, or 93? I'm going to say 91. Ooh, she is. She's got, one, she's got one year up on Dominic. She, Joanne Woodward is turning ninety-three.
0: Yeah, I knew that she was in her nineties. I just didn't know how old she was. But had a great, great life. Did a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of great charity work. The
1: whole wall gang, all that stuff. Good for her. Yeah, absolutely. All right, back to the acting world, and another guy who I I always I always enjoy this guy's work. Even yep. in, even if I see him in a movie or show that I'm not a huge fan of, he's terrific in it. It's kind of like the quintessential character actor.
0: Did you see the Night uh, of on HBO?
1: Loved it. I was just going to mention that. Okay. Yeah. Now do you. Now I'm talking about John Turturro, and you know, there's a Sopranos tie into that. That we Very, that I,
0: Yes, I do. James Gandolfini was was originally cast in that role.
1: Correct. And then uh, <laughs> tragically passed away. But yep. John Turturro really good in that role. I mean, I quiz show. Quiz show. Uh, we love rounders. I mean, I think the first role I saw him in was like it was in To Live and Die in Dine, L.A., one of the great underrated movies of the '80s. A uh, whole bunch Miller's crossing. I loved him in. Um, I could go on a big Lebowski. He's great, but he's also, you know, getting up there, but he's still doing work, doing quality work. So is he uh, 62, 66, or 71?
0: I'm going go to go the low end here because I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to say 62.
1: You should have just hedged your bets and gone in the middle. He's All turning. Right. He's turning 66.
0: Yeah, another guy's been around a lot. I mean, was he in Do the Right Thing as well back
1: in the day? He was. was. Not, yeah. Nice call, yeah. And, and always from, good. what, 87, something like that? Like, late 80s, yeah. yeah. Um, All right, that makes sense. We're talking man. about that high school, uh, that movie. That's,
0: but yeah, I mean, he, he
1: picks his projects well, well. Works with good directors, good writers, good scripts. Uh, you know, and talk, uh, now we're going to go, we're, the last two were in like a little – little turn from the acting world your Literally. favorite singer we have to include yeah i know I, I could not make the joke fast enough so you took it and i think this guy lives in connecticut or he does. at least he used to yeah uh he's a crooner uh michael bolton all his big hits you know soft name soft for, rock singles name one
0: of them go ahead
1: I, I don't know he covered a bunch of songs go right? ahead
0: name his biggest hit it's your wedding song cried out loud.
1: what's my wedding song
0: I was come on, feel the noise. That's right. That's what, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That actually was, uh, yeah, that's true. I have
0: no idea how old Michael Blue. All right,
1: let's let's move on because we're slowing things down. Oh, we'll take a guess is he 60 65 or 70? I'll give you a wide range 70,
0: there. 70. Boom,
1: boom goes to dynamite. Yep, all right. I don't know why I put this your favorite comedian now. <laughs> why I put this guy on here, but it's like, oh, I, I just did. Uh, I you know, who doesn't love well, nobody likes him, but. Carrot top. I don't remember what his real name is, but this is one of those ones like this. That guy's that age. All right. Whatever.
0: Did I tell you I met him?
1: Where at the car wash? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. He washed my car. Yeah. No, I met him in Tampa, I think, when I was a student at the University of South Florida. We were, I think, I have to ask my buddy this question because I know he was with me. But there was a group of like four of us. It was late. I want to say it was like two o'clock in the morning somewhere in Tampa, you know, been out on the town for a bit feeling good yeah and he, we saw him in like a lobby or something we were going into i, I don't know I'll get, the details are very yeah. fuzzy <laughs> but i all i remember was he was scared of us wow because we were joking around with him and he was doing he was like joking and he loved us and then we were doing material and like ripping on him oh <laughs> he like
1: got mad
0: because we were making ourselves laugh at us making fun of him but, I
1: love that you, I love this because we, I love these, I love the Eric Dobret celebrity encounters. It's been a while since we had one on the, on yeah. the podcast, so nice. I, yeah, look at that. I, I chose wisely so we could have another Eric Dobret. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's, I'm sorry. No, I loved it. That was great. Your intimidating carrot top in uh, you know, in Tampa, Florida in the middle of the night. I mean, it's this sick. is you
0: know, yeah, this so this is 23, you know, 30 years ago. 32. Well, then
1: let's segue into the yes. into his, his Go age. Ahead. Or, now I'm gonna he, get a good guess. Is he 53, 56, or 58?
0: I'm going to say 56 because I was going to guess 57 without if you didn't give me any numbers.
1: So go ahead. Geez, you, uh, I don't know. I mean, you really, you were so so this week. Uh, he's 58. I, I mean, geez. And it's not like you gave me, I mean, why don't you do 57? Why do you do
0: 56, 57, 58? Jeez. Oh, I mean, geez. Come just, on.
1: Just make a decent. Unbelievable. Jesus. God, you met the man. You may forget it. probably should have gotten. You know, should know what. Maybe have a better idea how old he is.
0: Ah, uh, you know what's funny though is you look at all these. Think of all the people you've met in your life, Brian, over the years, yeah. and, and now it's all about the selfie. When Ugh. back then, when back then it was about it's the true. memory. Just, back then it was all about the memory. Yeah. Now it's about the selfie.
1: Now, now give me carrot top, assuming he doesn't run away.
0: You know so my favorite selfies self-selfie.
1: of the time. What's that?
0: Daryl Strawberry.
1: You and Daryl Strawberry, you've got I, a lot of selfies. To me, 1987, you know. me and Daryl. Oh, before you were like Mr. Famous Connecticut sportscaster guy. Yeah, I was oh, wow. spring
0: training at Tinker Field in Orlando, Florida. Daryl Strawberry. Wow. Yep. So, well, anyway. well
1: you didn't call. A, how was it a selfie? in 1987. some, did you take like a Polaroid and like hit, like hold it up? Or
0: I held. I so we had some sort of throwaway camera of some sort. Yeah. He was signing autographs. I think I've told you this before. He signed a couple of autographs for me. We we didn't know we were going to a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in Florida on vacation at Disney. We didn't know we were going to game. We walked up to the front door. My dad, it was the five of us. And my dad said, Hey, we're just, we're just showing up on an so It was literally like 25 minutes before the first pitch. And he said, do you have any tickets? And the five of us are standing there. And the guy goes, as a matter of fact, I do. And it's, it's such a good story. He goes, these five people I know aren't coming today. They were front row seats behind the, uh, wow. on, deck, on deck circle. At the Mets game. So it was one of those things where you're like, whoa. So we went down and <laughs> Daryl signed autographs. And on the second autograph, I will find it somewhere. Daryl's penmanship goes, he he goes quickly up a little bit. There's a mistake mm-hmm. in his signature. Because while he was signing it, Daryl had been going through some domestic abuse off season with his then wife. Some issues, yeah. And someone yelled, hey, Daryl, how's your wife? While Ooh, he's geez. signing my autograph and so hit the so the pen jerks for a second because he looks up when the guy said it wow you know like he was going to go into the stands and kill the guy
1: so that would have been which also would have meant the papers back then yeah um, exactly. but you know there's not often I mean, this is a good this is a good podcast and you can mention a carrot top uh encounter and a daryl strawberry encounter both within five minutes for each. Other.
0: very diverse think, we're very good
1: yeah, we're giving people some content this week you know
0: what i mean good yeah. stuff all right, well we're gonna do it again next week. I don't know what the hell we're gonna talk about. We'll have to find I'll out, something. you know, we'll find something. We'll figure it out.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Baseball, you know, baseball coming up. We're going to be next weekend's the first weekend of March. March Madness is going to be crazy. You're going to be crazy flying over the state. But you got high school playoffs. You're going to have some college tournaments going on. Some, and uh, UConn is right at the ship in men's basketball, by the way. Oh, they they're, have. They're, yeah. they're going to be a dangerous out
0: watching them get, lose in the first game. But the way it's it's going right now, they could be that 2.30 Thursday afternoon we talked about against Providence. Wow. Yeah, that'd be a fun game in oh the my garden. Oh, God. There's, I don't want to go I, I want to go as a fan and go throw
1: down six or seven drinks at I year. would love to do that. I might do that. Hate hey, to go take a day off. So, yeah, that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, they're they're rounding they're, they're, they're in the form of the right time of year. So.
0: You got it. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the EDBC podcast. He's Brian. I'm Eric. Until next time, Brian, say goodbye.
1: See ya.